guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here, we dealt with a lot of introductory period that dealt with the dynasties of the pharaohs. That is, in order to get a good understanding of what's going on from Genesis to Exodus, because there is a direct connection. What happens in Genesis? It ends with death. We see the death of Jacob as well as the death of Joseph. But Joseph making his brothers take an oath to take his bones from Egypt back into the promised land, saying that one day God would surely visit the sons of Israel and take them back to the promised land. And so we are left with the mindset of hope and redemption and that even though they went into Egypt, to preserve their lives. And that, and that was the surface reason we understand. And we know that the true reason was because of their failure, not to continue to inter intermarriage and intermingle with the Canaanites, losing their ethnicity and their divine purpose and calling. Now we know that's the real reason, but what God manufactured was the famine to drive them into the land of Egypt, into Goshen. And there we see the death. What we said, Genesis began with life. It ended with death, but that death had the hope of a promise, the promise of restoration, restoration for mankind as a whole from Genesis chapter three to restoration or restoring to the promised land for the sons of Jacob. And so, so they went into the promise, went into the land of Egypt, into Goshen so that they could develop as a nation. All of this is architected by God himself, but something happened and they ended up becoming slaves. And so what the introduction was all about was to help you understand how that when they came into the land of Egypt and Joseph himself being um, given high praise and high position by the then Pharaoh of Egypt, the introduction allowed you to see how the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews in Egypt fell into disfavor amongst the Egyptian people. And that was because of the change of the dynasties. First, they were welcomed by the Hyksos dynasties, and these were Semitic kings of Egypt, okay? They were non-Hamites. The Egyptians were Hamites, but the Hyksos were foreign kings of Egypt, if you'll let me say it in this manner. And then, and this basically, we can see this with respect to Joseph from the 12th all the way up until the 17th dynasty, okay? With respect to that invitation of the Semites. But once we get to the 18th dynasty, we have Amos the first, and he is the first Hamite, he is the Hamite Egyptian Pharaoh, and they have a, a strong dislike for Semites. And so what do they do? They expelled all the Hyksos, and they also began to treat the Semites harshly. Who are the Semites? Hebrews, Jewish people are Semites. And this is why we see the harsh treatment that takes place to the Jewish, that happens to the Jewish people when once they were first invited and welcomed by the Pharaoh, but he was a Hyksos, a fellow Semite. But then when we get to Exodus chapter one, as we're about to talk about now, we see they are very harshly treated because these are 
Hamite pharaohs. These are native Egyptians. And remember what we said concerning the native Egyptians, even in the book of Genesis, that they considered these shepherd kings or that the shepherd kings were the hype sauce, but that they considered shepherds Semites to be an abomination. And so therefore they would have no association with them. Okay. But anyway, with all that being said, we now move into the time of distress. And this is what is going on now. We, we came in into Egypt as we ended Genesis with Joseph taking care of his brothers with the favor of the Hyksos Pharaoh King of Egypt with his blessing. And now we're about to begin a period of great distress and oppression upon the Hebrew people. Okay. So now let's begin Exodus chapter one. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household, Reuben, Simon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Okay, and so basically all we have are the tribal families. These are the heads of the tribes, the direct sons of Jacob who came into uh, Egypt when, the, when, when Joseph invited them. We saw at the end of chapter, chapter, <laughs> chapter 50 of Genesis when the sons of Israel came into Egypt into the land of Goshen. These are the sons of Jacob. We know that Jacob has died. He died at 147 years of age. And we also know at this time, Joseph had died. So we are just simply giving a rehearsal of the tribal heads. And these are Jacob's son. We see the sons of Leah. And then we see the son of Rachel, that is Benjamin. And then we see the sons of the concubines and it gives that total number to be 70. I know earlier in Genesis it talked about 66. That's because it did not include Jacob and Joseph and his two sons who were already in Egypt. But here we have the inclusion of both Jacob and Joseph as well as his son. So therefore the number in totality is 70. Now, when you look at Acts chapter seven, when Stephen gives the number 75, and I don't want to get into all of that, but I just make mention of it just in case somebody has a bright idea and say, there's a mistake in the Bible. Stephen is getting his number from the Septuagint, which is the Greek rendering of the old Testament. And the Septuagint gives the number at 75. The number is given at 75 because it includes the grandsons of Jacob as well. So the total number will be 75. But here it is given the number of Jacob's sons and those who came down into Egypt with the total number of 70. OK, now verse number six, Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. So now let me stop there. It's, it's not a lot of commentary that I need to make, but what is important to see is remember what God said to Jacob, Genesis 46, not to be afraid to go down into Egypt because there he will make Jacob, his family, Israel, a great people there. Okay. He'll make him a great nation there. Here is the fulfillment of that word. And notice 
all of the superlatives that are being used here. Notice it. They were fruitful. They increased greatly. They multiplied. They became exceedingly mighty. The land was filled with them. And that is the land of Goshen. So we can see clearly that the people of Israel grew in number they they magnified. We know by the time that they came out of Egypt, they were approximately two million in number, but we're not there yet. But nevertheless, so they grew in number. And that's our main point that we need to see here and fulfill the word of God. Verse number eight. And here's where our introduction. If you have not looked at an introduction, here's where you need to go there and look at that so you can appreciate what's going on in verse number eight, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time in explaining it again. Now, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them or else they will multiply in the event of war. They will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. Okay, so now here is where we have this new king that arose who did not know Joseph. Again, this is not, remember, uh, back to that intro again. The Hyksos dynasty, the kings of Egypt, were Semites friendly to the Hebrew people, but later on they were replaced. They were, uh, overwhelmed in war, uh, uh, defeated by the Hamite, which are the native ethnic Hamites are ethnic Egyptians. They hated the hike sauce. They hated the Semites. Okay. And so this is that King. So from the 18th dynasty, Amos the first, this is Amos the first, and he has established the 18th dynasty. He got rid of the Hyksos people He and the, the Semites that were left in the land, he oppressed them. And so he took notice, this new Hamite king took notice of the great number of Jewish people who were in the land of Goshen. And when he looked at in verse number nine, when he said they are, he, he didn't say they were more and mightier. That's not really a good translation. What he actually said was there were too many of them and they were too mighty for them. And that's actually what he said. There were there were not more Jews in the land of Goshen than there were Egyptians. No, he was just simply saying the number was simply too great and too mighty. And so therefore he concocted a plan. He said, let us deal wisely with them. Why? Because the numbers of them are many. And in the event our, they join along with our enemies, they can actually uh, depart from out of the land. So that lets us see what? That even at this particular time, the Egyptians had already enslaved the Semite people. Because remember, back again, even though it's not stated, this is what the Hamite kings did with the 18th dynasty when they threw the Hyksos out of Egypt and the rest of the Semites. Remember, the Jews are Semites. They oppressed them and they enslaved them. So this is what he is thinking to do. He is coming up with an idea to protect his nation so that the Jews would not 
come together with their enemies and overthrow the Egyptians themselves. Okay. And so he comes up with three particular plans and that's what we're going to see in Exodus chapter one. We are going to see three particular plans of the king in order to suppress the, the Jewish people and oppress. So it's going to be a combination of both suppression and oppression, suppression of them to quelch any national uh, 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 movement amongst the people, uh, the desire to be free, the desire to, to be liberated from the Egyptians. So that would be the suppression. And then we will see the oppression that these kings, because it's not going to be simply this king alone, Amos the first, but there'll be other kings. And we'll talk about them as we get there. We're going to see the acts of oppression that they will use to try to keep the Jewish people under their feet, to keep them as slaves and keep control of them. Okay. So we will see what suppression and oppression as the tactics of the king to keep these Jews under control. All right. So what happened? Verse number 11. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Python and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and, uh, and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors, which they rigorously imposed on them. So now that's number one, the first act, if you'll let me say it that way, that the first intention of the king was to oppress them with very, first they were already slaves. Okay but it was extreme difficulty of labors. So what did they do? They appointed taskmasters over these, uh, Jew, over the Jewish people to afflict them with very difficult tasks. And also they forced them to build treasure cities for the Kings. And notice a couple of them were mentioned here, Python and Ramses. These were treasure cities for the Egyptian Pharaohs into the which the Jews would make mud bricks to build the Pharaoh's city, as well as take care of the agricultural animals of the other Egyptians. So in all forms of labors in all matters of labor in whatever it was, they didn't just simply give them jobs and tasks to do as slaves, but they afflicted them greatly. Now here is what the probable mindset was. Cause remember, what was the Pharaoh concerned about? The number of Egyptian, and really it's not so much as the women he was concerned about, because remember he's talking about war. They might come together with some of our enemies and wage war against us. So it was not the women, it was the males that he was his primary concern, the male Hebrew slaves. So what was probably in the mind of the Egyptian Pharaoh was, if you afflict them and oppress them with such difficult labor, just wear them down to the ground. By the time they come home, they'll have no desire to be with their wives. You get, you get what I'm trying to say? So the, 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 
They'll be too tired to have sex. And so therefore this would become a form of population control because the men are just so tired because they've been oppressed all day long with such hard work. You know, it's like, listen, I'm just tired. I'm going to bed. But what happened? It backfired. The first plan backfired and notice no matter how much they oppressed them, the greater they oppressed them, the greater their numbers grew. So plan number one failed. Remember three things you'll see in this chapter concerning suppression and oppression. First one failed the rigorous hard labor. Now let's look at plan number two from the Egyptian Pharaoh. But what is also interesting to see is this, even though the text is not giving us a name, it kind of seems like it's the same Egyptian king, but it's not. The first one that we saw, this Pharaoh of suppression was almost the first. Now this Pharaoh that we're going to talk about here is Amenhotep the first. So this is a different Pharaoh because years have passed. So they've gotten a chance to see what has taken place through the oppression by the first Pharaoh, almost the first. It didn't work. So his son, Amenhotep the first, he tries something different. And this is that Pharaoh that we're going to talk about now. Okay. Uh, we're at what? Verse number 15. Then the king of Egypt, Amenhotep the first, spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then he shall, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. So now that's number two. So what is suppression oppression tactic? Number two, the next Pharaoh, Amenhotep the, the first, he commanded the midwives, uh, Shifra and Pua. And these were the midwives who were the primary chief midwives over the other midwives. And so therefore he commanded them to say, if you see a Hebrew woman giving birth to a male child, kill it, kill it at, at, right at the time of birth, kill it so that it'll seem like when the child was born, the male child was, was, was still born. He was born dead. He was still born. But if it's a girl, let the child live. And the reason why the king was doing this was, again, notice, men, getting rid of the men. Popu this was an act of population control. The, the point was this, was, in the, was most likely happening in the, in the mind of the Pharaoh. Kill the male Hebrew children and then take the female Hebrew children and marry them with the Egyptian. And therefore, 
in this intermarriage, you will not have this Hebrew ethnic nationality. And therefore, you don't have to worry about war. Remember, the whole thing in the back of his mind is we don't want them to leave. We want to keep a population of slaves. We want to keep that. Slaves are money. That's what slaves is. Slaves are money. So we want to keep a certain population of slaves, but we don't want to have too many of them so that they can engage in war with our enemies against us. Okay. So it's fine to have a bunch of women, uh, female Hebrews because we will intermarry with them. And so therefore this nationalistic, a fervor that can develop amongst the people will never happen. Why? Because they are not intermarried with the Egyptians. But of course, this failed as well. And so what happened? When these uh, Hebrew midwives saw the women having about to have male children, it said they feared God and they refused. They, they just simply delivered the baby. So in time, of course, the king would find out and he, and he commanded the midwives to come before him. And remember now, these midwives could have been executed, executed for disobeying the commandment of the Pharaoh. So when they were questioned from the Pharaoh, they came up with a lie. And that's all it was, was a lie. And they simply said that the Hebrew women were not like the Egyptian women. And the term that they used were, they were lively and vigorous. So that by the time the midwives would actually show up, the Hebrew women would have already had the baby. And probably what they're implying is they had the male baby and hid the male baby. Okay, so that's the idea. But these women were lying simply because they did not want to kill those babies. Now, I want you guys to think about that as we speak in the very atmosphere of what's going on in our country today concerning the Roe versus Wade. But I'm not going to digress into that, but still consider that these Hebrew women did not want to have those babies killed and look at the response of God. They risked their lives to do that. Now notice they lied, but God blessed them. He did not bless them because of the lie. He blessed them in spite of their lies. In other words, it was not so much the lie God was looking at, but the intent of these Hebrew women. And what did these midwives want to do? They wanted to save those babies lives. And so therefore, what was the response of God? God blessed the midwives. And when he said he gave them household, it just simply said he blessed and prospered not only them personally, but their families, their houses as well. So he prospered these midwives. And what happened again? This was tactic number two of the next Egyptian uh, Pharaoh and it fell and backfired. What happened with the Hebrew people, Hebrew men? Their population exploded even the more. So everything that they were trying to do to suppress and oppress the Hebrew people, control the population, all of it was backfiring. And so now we're going to see even more desperate measures being taken by the Pharaoh in trying to kill these young Hebrew babies. So now let's finish the chapter. Verse number uh 22, which is the final verse. I saved it for last because it was the third and final thing that we saw done by the Pharaoh. 
Then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, who is born, you are to cast into the Nile and every daughter you are to keep alive. Now, I'm not absolutely certain whether this was a Minotep the second, but I believe the first, I'm sorry, but I believe this is actually Thutmose the first. This is Thutmose the first. Okay. And so what he did is this, since the midwives failed to do as he commanded to, to have those babies killed, he now gives the command to kill the Hebrew babies to every single Egyptian. Now, can you imagine that? If an Egyptian saw a baby Hebrew boy, they were command. They had the authority given by the king to take that Hebrew baby boy from his mother, throw that child into the Nile and drown that Hebrew baby. So what he did was he expanded the command. He said, since the Hebrew midwives didn't do it, let every Egyptian, if you see a Hebrew baby, kill it. If it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let it stay alive. Can you imagine the oppression and the fear that is upon all of these Hebrew women who have male babies at this time? And for, to understand it properly, as we prepare ourselves for chapter two, it is this environment. It is this environment under which what any Egyptian can kill any Hebrew male child. It is this environment that Moses himself is now being born and God is preparing a deliverer. All right. So what do we see? We saw that the nature of relationships between the Hebrews having come in under Joseph was very pleasant, has now changed drastically. And now the Hebrew people have been blessed according to the commandment of God. They indeed have grown no matter what the Egyptians did to them. They flourished and they grew. But in all of this, we saw great oppression. We saw what again? Suppression and oppression. We saw three tactics that, that were done by basically these pharaohs of Egypt. But in all things, guess what God continued to do? He kept his promise, even though it was a difficult time for the, for the Hebrew people. God kept his promise and he magnified the nation of Israel with respect to population. But something else that I want you to see before we sign off on this chapter, even though there is great hardships happening to the people of Israel, you will say, well, why is God doing this? Why is he allowing this hardship of oppression? I believe one of the primary reasons why God did this was to set inside of them a deep and longing craving for freedom. So that when he actually presents Moses to them as a deliverer, because Moses would become literally one of the first deliverers of, of Israel. And we'll see this idea of deliverer being carried in the book of Judges. All the judges were deliverers, but they were lesser deliverers than Moses. But nevertheless, we're talking about the oppression. Why did God allow this thing? Even as he spoke in Genesis chapter 15, 
so that when he brought forth the deliverer, the people would be ready to leave. They'll be desirous to leave and get out of there. And guess what? And even though God has manufactured this desire through this oppression to leave, even once the people are delivered, and I know I'm ahead of myself, but even as the people are delivered from Egypt, they will still look back on Egypt and talk about sometimes, you see this in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, how well things were in Egypt when they ate the melons and they ate the leeks. Let us return and go back to Egypt because life was better then and they forgot the hardships of their slavery. But nevertheless, we have now finished chapter one. The time has changed. The time for a deliverer also has come. See you then in chapter two.